There's a, a saying you may have heard, uh, where were you on the day that Elvis died? Now those of us not particularly concerned with the world might have, that might have passed us by, even though it was quite a major event in history. Perhaps we remember the time when Princess Diana died. I can remember that I was actually at the meeting and Brother Lionel Tompkins had heard about it on the news on the way to our meeting place and he told me about it afterwards. It was quite unbelievable that this young princess with everything going for her and all the protection and everything else should have died in such a way. Perhaps we remember when, where we were when the Twin Towers attack occurred. To hear that one aeroplane had crashed into a skyscraper was unbelievable enough. But then, as we tuned in, as I tuned in, to the news to see a second strike. It was beyond belief. More recently, the Grenfell Tower tragedy. Who could believe that such a thing could happen right there in the middle of London? Quite unbelievable. Well, that's the effect it had on me. Were you stunned? Were you incredulous? Disbelieving even? How could this happen? We're going to think about unbelief in these few moments this morning. We think of Jesus and how quickly things could turn round. There he was this triumphal entry into Jerusalem, people throwing down their garments, throwing down palm branches and so on before him. The adulation and the praise to God. How quickly it would turn round. How soon it was before one of his own disciples betrayed him. It seemed the mob turned against him and he was arrested and put through that kangaroo court. How quickly things change and how unbelievable that someone could go from everyone singing Hosanna, praise the Lord, to having him hauled in front of the high priest and in front of Pontius Pilate. Well, we can read a little of that incredulity in Luke chapter 24 when we think of the account of the disciples on the road to Emmaus. Verse 18, it says, One of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who doesn't know the things which have happened there in these days? And he said to them, that's Jesus, what things? And they said to him, 
the things concerning Jesus, the Nazarene, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word, before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who would redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Also, certain women of our company amazed us, having arrived early at the tomb. And when they didn't find his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Well, some of us went to the tomb and found it just like the women had said, but they didn't see him. Quite unbelievable. It's unbelievable that Jesus could be crucified, put into the ground or into the tomb. This man in which they had so much hope, everything was pinned on him, being the redeemer of Israel, being the one who was going to drive out the Romans from Judea. And there he was, dead. But if that wasn't unbelievable enough, all the indications were that he'd been raised from the dead. His body had disappeared. The women were told by the angels. Now, We'd like there to be more eyewitnesses, but what a strange thing. The guards who did witness everything were nevertheless told to lie and told to say that they were asleep. Well, how you can see anything when you're asleep is uh, perhaps lost on them. But the fact is that they had seen the angel. They had heard the message that Jesus was risen, but they chose to ignore it. Perhaps they just couldn't believe, either because it was hidden from them, or they just could not get their heads round it. How could this be? Well, unbelief is not something that was just limited to the time of Jesus' entry into Jerusalem and his trial and execution. It was something that he'd come up against his whole ministry. Matthew 13 says at verse 54, Coming into his own country, he taught them in their synagogue, So that they were astonished and said, Where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother called Mary and his brothers James, Joseph, Simon and Judas? Aren't all of his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? They were offended by him. 
But Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honour except in his own country and in his own house. And he didn't do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Here's another example from Matthew 17, verse 18. Jesus rebuked him. The demon went out of him and the boy was cured from that hour. When the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why weren't we able to cast it out? And he said to them, because of your unbelief. For most certainly, I tell you, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you will tell this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Are we to take this literally? Did the disciples go around moving mountains from one place to another? I don't think so. Possibly we've tried it when we were younger. See if we could believe and make that thing move. It doesn't work. I think we can safely assume we are talking uh, symbolically here. Here's the words we read earlier from the parallel account in Mark. Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honour, except in his own country and among his own relatives and in his own house. He could do no mighty work there except that he lay his hands on a few sick people and healed them. He marvelled because of their unbelief. He went around the villages teaching. Just point out, we know Jesus was in his own country, there's no one there, and among his own relatives and in his own house, yes, even the family of Jesus, his brothers and his sisters did not believe in him. But one of the parallels or one of the questions we have to ask perhaps is, does our lack of belief limit what Jesus can do for us? Because in these three accounts we've seen that because of their unbelief, he limited what he did. Whether he could have done more but chose not to is most likely. But it was the fact that they, because of their unbelief, caused Jesus to limit what he did. So I ask again, does our unbelief limit the scope of what Jesus is prepared to do for us? I like this verse 
in Mark chapter 9 verse 24. Immediately the father of the child cried out with tears, I believe, help my unbelief. I know that's how I feel sometimes. Perhaps we all do at times. Our belief is not really up to the mark. Is increasing our faith beyond our own abilities? Do we cry out to Jesus? Do we cry out to God through Jesus? Help my unbelief. Should we? Let's go back on the road to Emmaus now and read read what happened afterwards. Verse 14. Afterward he was revealed to the eleven themselves as they sat at the table and he rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart because they didn't believe those who had seen him after he had risen. Unbelievable. How could they not believe? But we have to ask a question of ourselves. Those disciples are long fallen asleep. Their time of probation is at an end. Ours is still ongoing. Are our hearts still receptive? Are we still prepared to believe things, even if they seem unbelievable at times? Or have our hearts become hardened by years of waiting and many disappointments, many seemingly notable dates that have come and gone and all those things that we hoped would happen have not. We keep saying to ourselves, the world is getting worse and worse. Surely, surely Christ cannot be far away. Surely he must come back soon. But sadly, it is not yet proven to be the case and we still have to wait. We still have to keep that faith We have to keep believing. Here's some words from Romans 11. You will say then, branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. True. By their unbelief they were broken off. And you stand by your faith. Don't be conceited, but fear. For if God didn't spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. See then the goodness and severity of God towards those who fell severity, but toward you, goodness, if you continue in his goodness, otherwise you also will be cut off. They also, if they don't continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again.
from Hebrews 3. Beware, brothers, lest perhaps there be in any one of you an evil heart of unbelief in falling away from the living God. But exhort one another day by day, as long as it is called today, lest any of you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold fast the beginning of our confidence firm to the end. While it is said, Today, if you will hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who, when they heard, rebelled? No, didn't all those who came out of Egypt by Moses, with whom was he displeased forty years? Wasn't it with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? To whom did he swear that they wouldn't enter into his rest, but to those who were disobedient? We see that they were not able to enter in because of unbelief. Let's just repeat that. They were not able to enter in because of unbelief. These well-known words from Romans 7. For I delight in God's law after the inward man, but I see a different law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity under the law of sin, which is in my members. What a wretched man I am! Who will deliver me out of the body of this death. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, with the mind, I myself serve God's law, but with the flesh, the sin's law. Wretched man that I am. And who was writing that? The Apostle Paul. If he was a wretched man, if he battled on a daily basis between sin in the flesh and Christ in his heart and his mind, if he battled on a daily basis, it's no surprise that we have the same challenges. But we can say those same words of the sick man's father, help me in my unbelief. Back to the events following uh, the death of our dear Lord. Matthew 28 verse 6 is not here, for he has risen, just like he said. Come, see the place where the Lord was lying. Go quickly and tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead, and behold, he goes before you into Galilee. There you will see him, 
Behold, I have told you. They departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to bring his disciples' word. As they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, Rejoice! And they came and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. And Jesus said to them, Don't be afraid. Go tell my brothers that they should go into Galilee, and there they will see me. Jesus' disciples were unbelieving. They hadn't believed the reports that they'd heard. But Jesus forgave them. He even forgave Peter, who had denied him. Their faith was weak, but he strengthened them. They had fear, but through Jesus they felt and received great joy. And Jesus said that he was going ahead to prepare a place for them. In their case it was Galilee. But we know the parallels. We can see the parallels there. Jesus has gone ahead. Jesus has gone to prepare a place for us. And even though it seems such a long time that we've been waiting, he will return because Jesus has promised this. He will return and he will take his sheep into the kingdom. Luke twelve thirty two. Don't be afraid, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And how has all this been possible? Through the sacrifice of our dear Lord, who paid the price for all of our sins, past, present and future, through the laying down of his life. And we remember that now as we take these emblems and just pray, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus.